Well, good morning, Concord Bible Church. How are you all? It's good to be with you again. I love just the, just the name of your church, the fact that the word Bible is in it. I just believe that is, that's accurate. Like there, there should be an extra anointing on this place just for the simple fact of that and that this is a church that believes and wants to study God's word. And uh, I'm excited uh, to be here again with you and excited my wife uh, is here with me. Sometimes I go and I speak at different churches and I show a picture of my wife, um, but I just always feel like there's some people like, is that really his wife? Or did he get a stock photo and just like Photoshop himself in there? No, she's real and she's just as gorgeous and intelligent and just uh, amazing blessing in my life as she looks in the picture. So I'm so glad that my wife gets to be here with me this time. And again, I know Pastor Jeremy's going to be uh, watching this later, so I just want to thank him for allowing me to have this opportunity to share with uh, this a wonderful congregation and to be with you guys, because it really is uh, such a wonderful church. I was able to speak with him last night and just kind of connect with him about what you guys have been studying and going through, and um, he just made it out of Chicago. Wow, he was telling me about how cold it was out there, and I was like, man, you are brave <laughs> to go out there. I think he said it was two degrees, and uh, that's cold. I don't know. I mean... I don't know what you've been in, but for me, that's cold. Once it gets under 40, <laughs> it's cold. But if you do have your Bibles uh, this morning, go ahead and turn to the book of Daniel. We're going to start in chapter 1, and then we'll get to chapter 3. Uh, I know you've been studying in Jonah, but we are going to be in Daniel this morning. How many of you um, remember uh, the Where is Waldo show? Or the, For me, when I was a child, Where was Waldo? We had these kind of uh, picture books. There's these large books, and it was the Where's Waldo, and you'd flip through, and you had to find Waldo. He's kind of the tall, lanky guy wearing the red and white, and surprisingly enough, in these books, it seemed like everyone wore red and white, and so you're looking at this page as a child, and you're like scanning as hard as you can intently, like, I have to find Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo? And you would look over it so many times, and you're like, I can't find him. He's not there. They're lying, and then, you know, the, the, the book would have a cheat sheet in the back, and it would show you him circled and highlighted where he is. And I just thought that was kind of funny as relating to the title of the message today is, Where is Daniel? And we all have the, those friends, or we have those moments, but typically it's a, that one person who always misses the big moment. Uh, I have a friend named Adam, and Adam is notorious for this. Uh, no matter what is happening, he's the guy who would miss his wedding because something came up. Uh, he, he met someone at the grocery store and had a too long of a conversation, and so he was late to his child's graduation or something. That's who Adam is. He always misses the big moment, but Adam is an AV and media guy, and so he does a lot with cables and all this staging stuff, so he taught me there's a proper way to roll up a cable. I didn't know that. I grew up, you just, you know, hey, yeah, but there's, so, there's supposedly a proper way, and so Chelsea and I are on our honeymoon, and we're on this beautiful catamaran in Hawaii, and we're we're going out to see the Nepali cliffs in Kauai, and we're looking forward. There's all these beautiful dolphins in the water and these incredible views, and it was whale mating season, and so they say, hey, we're going to put a microphone out in the water so you guys can hear the whales sing. Pretty cool. And so the guy puts the microphone out. We hear the whale sing, and the deckhand is trying to fold up the cable the wrong way, and because I know Adam, I said, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going to go help him out and show him how you fold a cable. So I go over and I'm talking to the first hand deck mate and I teach him how to fold a cable and I come back and Chelsea's like, did you see it? Did you see it? And I'm like, see what? Oh, the whale just came out of the water and came and just crashed down. It was this beautiful view. You, you, you couldn't have missed it. No, I completely missed it. And I had a where is Waldo moment where I completely missed what I was supposed to see or, or what I would call an Adam Armstrong uh, moment. 
And so, again, today we're going to be asking the question, where is Daniel? And just a little background of what's taking place uh, right now. Judah had just been uh, captured by King Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the Babylonians. He kind of laid besieged on them, and, and he brought them into exile and took them out of their land. And we're going to start in Daniel 1, uh, verse 3 is where we're going to start. We're going to go verse 3 through 13. I think I can control this. Perfect. Okay. Here we go. It says, then, uh, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, uh, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youth in whom had no defect. They were good-looking and showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king Let's see, the king appointed for them a daily ration of the king's choice food from the wine in which he drank and appointed that they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they would enter into the king's personal service. But Daniel said to the overseer, with command of his officials, he had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants. Well, we skipped one there. Oh, nobody, oh, we're good. Please test your servants. Um... Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in the presence and the appearance of your youth who is eating the king's choice food. Deal with your servants according to what you see. So what we see happening here is uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to go recruit some young people that can, that can serve his king's house, that can serve uh, the king with what he needs. And so they get these wise, intelligent, good-looking men. And he says, bring them in. Let's educate them on our, our culture. Let's educate them on uh, what we believe and what we do, and let's teach them. And part of that was, well, let's get them eating what we eat. Let's give them the king's choice. Let's give them the, the meat. I just imagine, you know, it's just a slab of ribs or something, some baby back ribs, uh, just like, just gluttony, just a lot of food that we want to eat, but we shouldn't eat. And imagine if you would, that one friend, I don't know if you have this one friend, but when you go out to eat, you have that one friend, you're, you're going to get a good meal and you get the loaded baked potato, you get all that good stuff and your friend's like, I'll have the salad <laughs> with extra just oil and vinegar, please. No ranch. That's not healthy. That's, that's who Daniel was, right? His friends are about to be fed this, this king's choice meal, and Daniel says, no, can you just give us some rabbit food and water? That, that'll be good. And I just imagine the other three, if I was there, I'd be like, Daniel, can you stop talking? Like, dude, they're going to give us extra butter. Don't, don't say that, right? But he, he says, hey, no, we don't want to eat that because it's going to go against what they believe. It's going to go against eating meat that maybe was sacrificed to idols or eating pork or unclean meat. And so he says, no, let us eat these vegetables. Let us have water and compare us to the rest of the people and see how we look, right? And the story would go on to say that they were, they looked even more prestigious than all the rest of them. They had good skin, good hair. And I just believe that they were just glowing, right? They just looked uh, extra well. And so, but in, in this time when King Nebuchadnezzar takes these, these friends in, he gives them all new names, right? He gives them all new names. Uh, Daniel becomes Belteshazzar, and we know the other three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And it was, it was crucial, it was very important, this changing of their names. See, if you don't know what their original names meant, Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Azariah was the Lord is my help. Hananiah, the Lord has been gracious, and Michelle, who is what God is. They all had these names that glorified Yahweh, these, these names that glorified God, but King Nebuchadnezzar gave them all names that would glorify pagan gods, that would represent the pagan gods that, that he served and the pantheon of gods that he had. 
And so he was trying to fully indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture. And by changing their name, that was a sign of, of the ultimate authority someone had over you, was now I'm going to change what people call you, how they view you. And it got me to thinking, what, what, what's our name? What's the name that we go by? As Christians, sometimes I believe when we have setbacks and, and hang-ups, we allow the enemy to change our name into what we've done, mistakes that we've made. Whatever thing you do, oh, you're just, you're just a drunk. Or you're just, you're just an addict. Or you're just someone who, who can't be faithful to your wife or your spouse. Or you're just, you're just someone who's just enveloped with anger or anxiety. And we take on these labels at times and we allow it to change the name of who we are and how we identify rather than having a name that God has given us rather than living the, the, uh, the life that God has asked us to do. But between these four friends, they had really no control over anything, but they had control over what they ate, right? We see Daniel petitions, and they allow him to eat these things. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we allowing ourselves to eat? What is it that we are digesting into our spirit, our soul, right? I, I explain to young people all the time, we have like this meter, right? I'm talking to young boys all the time, they're like, how am I supposed to live this godly life and control myself because these girls are just so pretty and there's, I can't do it and they're dealing with temptation, they're battling with these things and I, I tell them it's like a gas gauge, right? It's like a meter and the more you fill up on the wrong things, your meter is just going to keep filling up until one day it just wants to explode and you're going to act out on it. And so we have to ask ourselves, all of us have to examine our own hearts and say, okay, what am I allowing into my spirit? What is it that I'm feeding myself? What is it that I'm watching? What music am I listening to? What, what political talk am I, do I, do I read or do I listen to CNN more than I listen to uh, what God's word says? Am I more involved with what that is telling me? What is it that I am digesting into my spirit? What am I allowing myself to eat? Because life does happen, things are going to happen, and we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, okay, are we prepared for this Daniel moment? Because there is a moment that is coming. See, part of the preparation is not getting comfortable with other people speaking for you. There's four friends all together, but there's only one person who ever speaks all the time. It's always Daniel, right? Why is that? Why is Daniel the spokesperson? They all had the same, uh, supposed, supposedly had the same convictions. They all served the same God, but for some reason, Daniel was the only one who said, can we eat something different? Or if we would go on to see, Daniel's the only one who can interpret the king's dream in chapter 2. It was always Daniel that was speaking for them, and I think there's a slippery slope or a danger there as believers when we allow other people to always speak for us. Think about it. It's really easy to go to a church and let the pastor preach and let them tell you this is what the Bible says and to go home on Sunday, and whenever you talk to anyone Monday through Friday, you just repeat everything the pastor said. Well, this is what pastor so-and-so said. This is what pastor Jeremy told us. This is what he taught us right? We, we get comfortable with allowing the professional Christians, the one with the microphone who's talking, be the one that is always our spokesperson on our spirituality, when really I think we all need to go home, get in our Bible too. Okay, Pastor Jeremy taught on this. Let me read that over that passage again. Let me ask God. Let me pray to God. God, would you give me revelation on what this is saying? What is it that you want me to share or get from this, Lord? Because while he has stuff for us corporately, he also has stuff for us individually, and so we have to not get comfortable with other people being our team spokesperson, letting them always be the one to speak for us. And again, it's not always easy, right? It's so, it's so easy to let other people do it. I, I think of it like this. When you go out to eat, I talk about food a lot. I'm sorry. I like to eat. It's just me. But when you go out to eat, um, have any of you, like, you go out to eat, but you're not, you're the only Christian when you go out to eat? Have you ever been in that kind of setting? You're the only believer when you go out to eat with a group of people, right? 
So there's that setting when you go out to eat with people who are, who are all believers and you get your meal and it's like, you don't have to say anything. It's like, okay, who's going to pray over the meal? It's just, it's just natural, right? It happens. But then all of a sudden when you're with a, a group of people and no one's a believer and you're eating a meal, you're just like, well, they ain't going to know. And you just kind of, it, it's like, a, it's a different tension. Like, am I going to, am I going to stop all these people who don't really pray over their food? And am I going to pray over my food or am I just going to start eating, right? It's, it's, it's that kind of thing where we have to see, like, it's easier to be a Christian when you're around Christians. When we agree on that, it's so much easier to well, act godly and, and be faithful when we're around other believers who are saying that, right? It's so much easier, but that's not what God has called us to do. He hasn't called us to just be a, a kumbaya club that sits in here on Sunday morning and just, oh, praise God, it's good to see you on Sunday, and we just do that every Sunday, Right? He's called us to go out. He's called us to go to places where people who don't know God, and we still have to not only survive, but we have to thrive in that climate. We have to thrive in that atmosphere where people don't want to know about God, or they don't believe what we believe, or they don't think of God in that way. And that's where these young men were at. Right? They're in a new culture, a new society of people that believe in all these gods. They're kind of being forced to indoctrinate and learn all these things from them, but they're saying, no, we're still going to hold on to this. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're following Daniel's lead. They're not necessarily sinning against God or doing anything wrong, but they are also not speaking up for themselves. They're allowing Daniel, well, Daniel will handle it. I'm sure Daniel will do the spiritual thing. I could just sit here and it'll happen and I'll just follow what Daniel says. And so then we see in Daniel 3, starting in verse 13, uh, it says this, the Nebuchadnezzar yeah, then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, what just took place right before this is uh, Daniel had interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream uh, that he was ready to kill all his wise men, all his magicians, his magis, all these people that were supposed to tell him the future, the, the astrologers. No one could do it. Daniel went home. He went with his, his friends. He said, you guys, all of us, let's pray that God would tell us this dream so I can go and interpret it for the king. So Daniel does this. He gets major favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. He appoints him. He gives him more uh, provisions over overseeing things. He even promotes his three friends, right? Daniel's three friends, they were just, a, they just tagged along. They're like, as long as we stick with Daniel. And they go higher and higher in the chain of command, and he interprets these dreams, and King Nebuchadnezzar's just feeling great. So he, he builds this massive, massive, massive idol and the, he has this one day where they call all the, all the noblemen, all the officials, all the wise men of Babylon have to come because they're going to do a dedication for this massive idol that he created. So upon creating this idol, he tells everyone, look, there's going to be all these instruments that are going to play. As soon as the band starts, everyone has to drop to their knees and worship this. Worship this idol, worship this image uh, that represents my kingdom and who I am. And you have these three friends, and this is where the moment happens because Daniel's nowhere to be found. All of a sudden, it's only Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that the Bible talks about. And they're all there, and they're standing there, and they're waiting, and they know what's about to happen. The trumpet's about to sound. The leers are about to play. All the instruments go, and they decide, we're not going to bow. We cannot worship this king in a way that we would worship our God. We cannot, allow, uh, to, we cannot allow idolatry to be in our hearts. And so they remain standing. Right? Picture this with me. If we were all in this room standing, and if I said as soon as the guitar starts playing, we all need to bow down and worship the guitar, and everyone starts to do it, and you're kind of the last ones, you're thinking, hmm, am I going to bow? Am I going to follow the crowd, or am I going to remain standing, and everyone's going to see that I'm still standing, right? It, it, it's similar to that. And so the three young men, they, they, they remain standing, 
But then some, some what I call haters, some people who saw them, they run to the king, the other wise men, and they complain and they say, hey, those, those, three, those three people that you anointed and you appointed over us, yeah, they didn't bow down to your image, King Nebuchadnezzar, tattletelling, right? And so then it says in verse 13 that King Nebuchadnezzar was in rage and anger and he gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded to them, uh, is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now, if you are ready at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the trigon, the, the lyre, uh, all these instruments, the bagpipe, to fall down to wor worship the image that I have made you very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of this furnace of blazing fire. What God uh, is there who can deliver you out of my hands. So the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, replied to the king, and this is a key verse, you've got to get this, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fire, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. Get this, this is a key passage right here, verse 18. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat up the furnace seven times its usually heated temperature. He commanded certain uh, valiant warriors who were uh, in his army to tie them up, to uh, uh, put ca cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. And so these men were tied up in their trousers and their coats and their capes and their clothes, and they were cast into the midst of the blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the fire had been, uh, been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who had carried them up there. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fires, still tied up. But then King Nebuchadnezzar was astounded and he stood up with haste. He said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast and bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, saying, certainly, O king. He said, look. I see four, loosed and walking in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God's. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire, and he responded and said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire, the satraps, the, the prefects, the governors, and the kings, high officials around them, and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies. Nor was their hair on their head singed, or were, or were their clothes damaged, nor did they even have the smell of smoke upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies as not to serve or to worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree that, many, that people of any nation or tongue that speaks against any offensive way against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubble. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Now I know that was a lot of scripture, a lot of word there, but I want you guys to get what is taking place in these three young men's lives. They've lived their life in Babylon thus far, being under the, the leadership, so to speak, of Daniel. Daniel was a representative. Daniel was the one who would speak for them. But there came a moment where Daniel was not there. 
And I believe this is, this is so applicable to the church today. We go through church, our Christian life, and we, we look to the so-called uh, the professionals or the leaders, and we're always looking for them to be our spokesperson. We hear about political issues that are happening. We hear about uh, what just took place in New York with abortions and all these things that are happening in our nation. And before we first go to the Word of God, before we first go to our knees and pray, we say, let me go run to the professional Christian that I know first. Pastor, what should I say about this? What should I? Now, I'm not saying we don't need to have counsel. But what I'm saying is that there's a participation that we have in it as well, that we need to say, God, okay, you can speak to me, God. Your word says that you'll speak to me, you'll give me revelation. So I don't need the revelation that you gave him to then give to me. I can get it from you directly. And that's what God wants. He wants intimacy with us. He wants us to be uh, in a one-on-one relationship with him. And so in this where is Daniel moment, tensions will rise and we must choose obedience or disobedience. Right? This is life. Life is about choices, small choices, disobedience, obedience. Are we going to follow what God is saying or are we going to kind of do what we want to do in the moment? It's kind of that feeling where we, we're about to make a decision. Oh, I know I really shouldn't do this, but I'm just going to jump in and I'm going to do it. Or no, I'm going to pull back. I'm going to restrain myself. Right? These moments are going to come. And for these three friends, just, I just imagine the stress. Like they know what's happening. And they're like, oh, no, they're going to play the music. We can't get out. We have to, we're here. Everyone's going to see. We're going to know. Do we really want to be outcasts? Do we really want people to notice us in this negative way? And they stood firm. And they did not bow to what was going to happen. They did not bow to worship this other God. And it was, it was, it's funny to know that they were ratted out for what? Why were, they, who, why were they ratted out? They were ratted out because they were serving God. Right? The Bible talks about that we are going to be hated on because of our love that we have for Christ, right? People are going to, they're going to come against us because we are for Christ. And, and if I'm honest, I see a lot of people in the church, and we complain about things that are happening in our lives or people that are against us, but it's never for the sake of the gospel. It's always for the sake of because of our personality or because of our behavior. Jesus says that we're going to be hated on by the world because of the, the works that we do, because the things that we do in his name. But if we're truthful, how, how, how many of us would say that that happens? Like when you go down to the grocery store, are people like just mad and just want to, I don't know, egg your house or your car because you talk about God all the time? Do we really face persecution? And so in the American church, we've kind of equivalented, well, that happens in third world countries. That happens in other places. And it does. I've been to countries where you talk about God and it's like, you'll get arrested, you'll go to prison, you'll get beat, you'll be killed maybe. Right? That does happen, but that doesn't mean we're excluded because we're in the American church. Right? There, there is still... Uh, souls out there that need to be one. There's still people who need to come in contact with God. And so we have to say, man, are, are we living such a, a, a nominal kind of just cruise control Christianity that people aren't even upset, that the world is even upset, that we're trying to glorify God through our life, through our actions, through our words, right? We're going to get to the actions of these three young men. They had great actions, but they never used their words. But where was Daniel? If you're like me, I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, well, why wasn't Daniel there? This doesn't make sense. And I read, you just keep reading through Daniel. As soon as you get to chapter four, all of a sudden Daniel's back. You're like, well, where was he at in this moment? Right? Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar called in all the wise men of Babylon, all the, all the seers, all the magis, all the scribes, all these officials. Well, Daniel was the chief of all of them at this point. So he had to have been in attendance. It wouldn't make any sense that Daniel wasn't there. So that leaves me to, I had three conclusions to what happened to Daniel in this moment. The first one was, um, was Daniel there, but he actually bowed. And that's why only Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were called out. I thought, hmm, I don't know. I, Daniel, I don't think he would have bowed in that moment. 
Daniel always stood up for what was right. He always spoke out to the king and his officials. So maybe it was Daniel was just not there at all. Maybe Daniel slept in that day. Maybe Daniel just completely missed one of the biggest things that King Nebuchadnezzar happened to be doing. But that didn't really have a lot of traction for me, so I didn't really buy that one either. Then I kind of came to this, this last conclusion that Daniel was there, and he didn't bow. But the accusers, the, the, the people who were upset that these, these, new, uh, uh, these Israelites have taken their role in the Babylonian kingdom, maybe Daniel was there and didn't bow, but they knew that they would have no clout in trying to accuse Daniel. They knew that his character and his good standing and the favor of God that was on his life, because they've all seen it. They've seen Daniel walk into the king's courts and say, I can interpret that dream. All the things that your guy's going to do, I'll do it for you. Maybe it's that Daniel's character and Daniel's favor, like I said, with the king and with God, put him in a place where they were like, I'm not even going to try to speak against Daniel. I'm not, we're not even going to try to accuse Daniel because everyone knows Daniel serves Yahweh. Daniel serves God. He's faithful. Even though he's in this position, we know that about Daniel. And so they excluded him from the accusation, and they went after the three that never spoke up. They went after his friends who, yes, they didn't, they didn't bow, but they still never spoke up. Which leads me to say, in our, in our walk with Christianity, in our walk with God, whether it's in a, a third world country setting or just in America today, we need to be able to say, I will die for this. God, your, your word, what you've called me to do, what you've given me, the message, the gospel, I'm willing to die for this. Like Jesus says the cost of being a disciple, go ahead and anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, but anyone who will lose his life will find it. Like we have to, there's this nature of dying to ourselves. There's this aspect of, of dying to not just our flesh. Sometimes it was physical death. We see it all over in Scripture. And the three young men had that. Like I said, in Daniel 3, 16 through 18, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter because our God is willing, our, our God is able to rescue us from your hand. But even if he isn't, we're still not going to bow anyway. We're still not, he's still worthy to be praised. He's still worthy to be worshiped. That, that even if he doesn't, put that into your life, your scenario. God, man, we're about to foreclose on our house. Lord, we don't have the finances that we need. God, my wife and I, we've been in counseling so long, Lord, but we just, I think we're still going to get a divorce. Whatever the case may be, it's like, no, God, you can rescue us. I have cancer in my body. Lord, I need healing. It's, it's getting us to a place where we can say, God, you have all power in your hand. You can heal me of this stage four cancer that the doctors are saying I can't be healed of. But even if you don't, you're still worthy to be praised. You're still a good God. You're still faithful and you're still gracious. This, this courageousness, this boldness to say that, I think is what, what makes them stand out in such a unique way. And it's something that we could all learn from is saying, God, even if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to worship you. And when God's people can survive in a toxic culture, when we can, when we can thrive in this, this society that we're in and even face death and know that not even death is beyond God's rescue for us, that's when I think we get to see God do incredible things in people's lives, in the lives of others. Like I've shared so many times our attitude, our response to adversity, to going through hardships, it speaks so much to those who are around us those people at your work, those people at your job, those, those people who don't know who God is, they see that you're going through stage four cancer, yet you're still like, no, God can heal me, and God's good, even if he doesn't, right? That, that's, that shares, that, that's, that speaks to the heart of any humankind, right? Anyone. So it's asking this question, are we willing to die for this? 
Or are we just casual Christians who say, hey, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and I'm going to tithe. And as long as I pay my check, that means God's going to bless me. Right. I think there's so much more that God has for our lives, so much more that God wants us to see us do. And sometimes you can't physically go out and do certain things. I'm not saying like, well, God, I need, you know, you're 75 years old. You need to go dig a well for God. I'm not saying that. But there's other ways you can get involved and engaged in what the kingdom is doing to further the kingdom in the United States, further the kingdom in Concord, Pittsburgh, Antioch, your surrounding areas. Right. There's a lot of people that need Jesus in this area. Right. We all know that. And so what is it that God is asking us to do? How is he asking us to stand firm in this society that we're wanting, uh, that we're in, and and being able to stand out and even face death? And what's so crazy to me, because when we do this, it can change the mind of a king who worships just a plethora of gods to saying, oh, no, 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 they serve the God of gods. They serve the one true God. He went from wanting to kill them to saying, you know what? Anyone who speaks against them in any language who speaks against their God let them be put to death and their house be completely destroyed. How does that happen? How does the narrative change so quickly? King Nebuchadnezzar, serve me, serve my gods, worship my idol. You know what? Actually, I was wrong. Their God is the one true God. And if you speak against it, now he's all of a sudden on their side and backing them up and that people wouldn't speak against their God. That can only happen when we have that where is Daniel moment. When we ourselves one-on-one and say, God, I'm going to stand up for you even when there's no other Christians around. God, I'm going to declare truth even, even when my pastor's not there to say it. Even though I'm a little shaky and I'm fumbling on some Bible verses, I'm like, I ain't read it too well, but I, I believe it says, and you're just going to go with it. You're going to go in faith and share what God has done in your life, your testimony, right? We think you have to, you have to go to Bible college and be such a wise professor in this and had it all memorized to be able to share what God's truth is and what it's done in your life. You don't. You all have a testimony and a story of what God's done in your life. He's brought you through things. You've had disappointments and letdowns, but he's still been faithful, right? And so we take that to the world. We take that to people, and that's what can change the narrative of even those who would worship other gods to come in and say, no, there's something different about the God that they serve. And so we have to ask this final question to ourselves. Will you stand or will you bow? Will you stand or will you bow? I find it so ironic today when we study the Bible, right? We talk about the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you notice what's wrong there? We call Daniel by his Hebrew name, which means the Lord is my judge. But we call the other three by their Babylonian names. Why is it that they're known for their Babylonian names? Wait, this doesn't make sense. They didn't, they didn't bow. They weren't scared of King Nebuchadnezzar. They, they said, God's going to rescue us. They were thrown into the furnace. They came out. They smelled good. Didn't smell like, you know, old fire and all that stuff. Why? So why is their legacy a name that worships pagan gods. What, what, what has taken place here? What is, this, this can't be right. And I believe it's this because they did not walk in their own freedom that God had for them, but they allowed themselves to walk in Daniel's freedom. They allowed themselves to walk and watch Daniel walk in the freedom that God had. Because God can give you freedom even if you're in a culture, even if you're in a climate that is against God. We see Daniel did it. Hostile, hostile place with the Babylonians, and he still was faithful to serve God. So I'm not saying that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael didn't do what they were supposed to right. They had the right action. They didn't, stand, they didn't bow. They stayed standing. But there's also something about having freedom in Christ and is knowing that we can both put action to what we're doing, and we also need to be able to speak truth. We also need to be able to speak out. And I know you don't have to be a public speaker or an extrovert to be able to do that, but you still have to have an element where you're going to speak on behalf of God. 
right? Moses wasn't a great speaker, but God used him to speak. We still have an element where we're going to have to share and speak up about things at our workplaces, with our friends, with our family members that, hey, you know, you go ahead, but I'm not going to do that because that's not honoring to God. Sometimes we think, well, as long as I put my head down and I'm quiet and I'm just a good Christian, it's okay to be in these. No, these people need to know who Jesus is. You need to say something. You need to share it. We can't just be rubbing shoulders with people who don't know who Christ is and be okay. And it's like, well, God, I prayed. I tell this to teenagers all the time. You have best friends in school and you're sitting next to them in class every day. You go to youth group every Wednesday. You go to church every Sunday. That's your best friend, right? Yeah, yeah, that's my best friend. Then why are you okay knowing your best friend's going to hell and you will never tell them about God? Why are we okay with that? We need to be like Daniel and even in the midst of a toxic culture, be able to say, no, I'm, I'm going to share truth. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to speak wisdom. I'm going to encourage them. And we all know people. We should at least. If your circle is only Christians, you need to get a bigger circle of some people who don't know who God is yet. Meet them at the grocery store. Meet them at wherever you go, the gas station, whatever it is. But we need to get around with some people that we can tell them about the love of Christ and what God is going to do. Because you cannot live on the anointing of the past. You cannot live on the spiritual, incredible things that God has done in your life from like 30 years ago. Or you can't live on the anointing of your pastor. Pastor Jeremy, he's an incredible man. Incredible man. I love talking to him all the time whenever we get to talk. But you can't live on his spirituality. That can't be enough to feed you and provide everything that you need. God's saying, no, no, I want want to hear from you directly. I want to have one-on-one fellowship with you. I want to commune with you, right? Today we're going to be doing communion. It's all about the sacrifice that Christ made for you. Yes, as all of us, but it's a, it's a personal thing. You, you, you shed your blood. You allowed your body to be broken for me. I need a communion with you. I need to talk with you. So the question is not where is Daniel, but the question is where is your heart today? Where is your heart today? I'm not trying to bring a message of condemning. I'm just trying to bring a message of awakening. That if your heart really isn't in it, if you've been starting to kind of bow your knees to compromise to what the world is saying and what other people are doing, I just want to encourage you to get a little more strength, to stand up a little more, a little more prideful and to say, no, I'm going to stand for God. I want to stand for what truth is. I'm not going to bow to even, even if other Christians are bowing. I'm not going to bow to that compromise, right? There's churches now, they, they'll teach all kinds of stuff that's not in that Bible. There's, there's whole churches on, there's congregations who are going to teach things that contradict God's word. Are you going to bow or are you going to stand for what truth is and say, no, that's, that's, that's actually not what it is. That's not what God has for us. And so we need to be ready for when that Daniel moment comes in all of our lives. And it'll come in seasons and seasons and seasons of saying, God, even if it's just me and you, you can throw me in that furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar, but it, don't, it doesn't matter. Because even, even if he doesn't rescue me, God is willing to save me. Can I pray for you all this morning? Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for just the, the lessons that we can learn, Lord, from Daniel and, and his three friends, God, that the, the act of persevering, Lord, in a hostile culture and community, God, the, the, the strength and the boldness, the courageousness that Daniel had, Lord, that even his three friends had, God, as they, they remained st- standing, Lord, when the rest of the nation bowed down to worship this idol, God. I pray that in this house, God, in this church, Lord, you would be raising up uh, disciples, Lord, that people who would all uh, be able to stand firm, Lord, even when they're surrounded by non-believers or surrounded by people who think and act uh, in contradictory to what they believe, Lord. I pray you give them strength and encouragement, God, to go after you with everything they have, Lord. God, let us be faithful with our actions, God, but also let us be faithful in how we speak up, God, how we, we are a spokesperson and ambassador for what your word says, God, for truth, God. 
for love and for hope, God, that we would share that with all that we come into contact with, God. I pray that this house, again, Lord, would just be a place where people would be equipped and trained and go out Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, Lord, that there would be testimonies and stories, God, that would pour into this house of people uh, coming to Christ, God, new people coming to know who he is, people who are uh, getting their workplaces uh, saved, God, people who are coming into, uh, they're going into worldly uh, environments, God, and they're being able to just bring a God influence into that place, Lord. I pray that you would give them new dreams, God. God, I pray that you would speak to them in such a way, God, that it would just light a fire in all of them, God. That Their bones would be so on fire, God, they couldn't help but speak it out. They couldn't help but tell other people about the goodness and the greatness of who you are, Lord Jesus. So, Father, we are just so grateful for what you're doing in our lives, God. And we just pray that you would continue to have your way, God. Continue to have your will in our lives, God, even if it means us getting a little uncomfortable and so, Father, we thank you so much. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the worship team, I believe. Or Bob, come on up.